Hey Tim, good morning. Is it is it Ryan? Sure. L- hang on, let me go outside and look through the window and I'll tell you. <laughs> is it looking good? Looks great. Been a great morning to you, Tim. Oh, hey, hi. And to you, just hang on. I gotta crawl in through this window. (laughs) And to you there (laughs) listening, whether it's morning, day, night, and everything in between, thank you for being here. Where is here? Here is Dismembering Horror, episode one hundred forty-four, specifically of Dismembering Horror. In fact, we welcome you to our boudoir where we dismember all that is horrific and horror films. We talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy. We're on a mission for the macabre, a hunt for the horrendous. Hey, <laughs> the next one's yours, Tim. Uh, a, a trek of terror. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> An expedition to the unexplored. Hey, now. That doesn't work. Wait. Um, (laughs) Anyways. Yeah, and we've made it to episode 144. We'll be talking about Peeping Tom from 1960. The same year that Psycho came out. I believe this came out a few months before Psycho. And is also by British filmmaker Michael or is also by a British filmmaker, in this case, not Alfred Hitchcock, but Michael Powell. It's also produced by him and written by Leo Marx. There's that. There are the credits. Boom, bada, boom. Bing. <laughs> Great. Anything else you want to check up with about our show here, Tim? No, not really. Okay. See, you get to see you in face-to-face real life. Yeah. Or well, is it? Well, <laughs> Yeah, what is real life at this <laughs> your, point? <laughs> your face is obscured by uh, by the pop filter You know what? There. So is yours, okay? I by know. your beard. <laughs> it is. <laughs> true, true. Great. All right. Well, in that case, we can uh, start in how we like to do with the trailer for today's film. Yeah. You ready for that? Of course. All right. Here we go. As I said, from 1960, peeping Tom. Look out. Look out. Look out. Take care. You are being watched. We repeat, take care. For you are now alone with a killer. We warn you, don't let him see the fear in your eyes. For this is what he seeks. And this is why he kills. Where are you? Where are you? out for Carl Byrne as the peeping Tom. Fear him, but pity him also. <laughs> it's no good. Watch out for Moira Shearer as the lovely stand-in who innocently dances into danger. Imagine. Someone coming towards you. 
who wants to kill you, regardless of consequences. Carl Boom. 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 <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Anyways, great. Pretty exciting. You know, I'd love to know, Tim, for our rating system, would you tell yourself to avoid, stream, rent, or buy this film, and why? It's pretty good. I think I'm... Still just a rent. But it's close. It's just not quite... um, It doesn't quite excite me enough. I'm not sure why. We'll figure it out. But it's really good. I mean, it's got a ton of great stuff. So, you know, it's not... It's not... Um, knock against it in any way. Just, I think it's just, I don't know. Me. <laughs> it's just me. <laughs> I'm a rent. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm similar. I'm a. I'm a lower rent as far as like personal this viewing enjoyment, but it's. I acknowledge it's a great film, though. I think it was just yeah. one of those weird cases where, for whatever reason, I wasn't like super into it while watching it could it could it have been the you know that this movie holds the world record for um most times a character says the name mark no (laughs) you're saying that (laughs) yeah that's what you picked up on i i got to a point where i was like if she says mark one more time i'm gonna (laughs) lose it and the instant i said that out loud she said it and i just started yelling (laughs) So otherwise, that would have been a buy it for you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. Great. Great. All right. A double rent. Pretty strong still. We'll yeah. get into all the ins and outs of why. But before then, what are we even talking about? What happened in this movie? How would you concisely summarize the course of events? Why well, you got to qualify it with concisely. Now, now I got to <laughs> try and be concise. God. Okay. A synopsis. Okay. Okay. Um. A, oh God. So there's this dude, Mark. He's had a messed up childhood. What a shock. (laughs) (laughs) He's kind of a uh, misanthrope, maybe you would say. Yeah, a British misanthrope, a British thrope. Yep. And he is a serial killer. He's got a compulsion to um, film his victims as he kills them. And he goes on a bit of a, you know, a serial. And the greater story we learn in the end is this is all for a documentary he's <laughs> right. making where uh, it is to conclude with his own death by the ha- at the hands of himself by the same way he's killed uh, the victims. Right, and we get into the sort of the details of what motivated him, which is his dad, who was... Definitely abusive, was a psychologist and was studying fear and using his son as sort of a subject. And that's spurred on his psychosis. Right. He's continuing his father's studies in a way, albeit from an artistic point of view, if you want to call it that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's got a cool job, though. 
He's like a focus puller for uh, a studio. And he's got a side hustle. Yep, he's got some nice side hustles. <laughs> yeah. Rocking rockin the nudie pics. Right. It's funny. What was that, that whole little setup that he was working for? It's like a little, it's like a little like market that's family friendly, even though it has uh, the nudie pics all outside the door and everything. <laughs> right. And it seems that they're shooting those pictures like above in the yeah. same building yeah so there's this like, whole operation going <laughs> that's on that right. he's a part of yeah it's the thinly veiled like we're a corner um whatever you would call that commissary or something like that it's corner store i guess yeah, yeah. um com- yeah it's like a convenience store that is just riddled with pictures of naked women on the front of it it's like it's, it's not like they're hiding something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, well anyway yeah we'll get into the, the fun of that anyway and yeah so and then also just to mention since this is a uh, part of the thrust of our story here he is being befriended by the neighbor his tenant his tenant right 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 right. ironically i guess after our last episode you mean yeah yeah called the tenant Great. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess we could mention that too. The building he's in that he's that they're renting out the different rooms to, like it's the same building that he grew up in with his parents. Right. So we learned some exciting uh, modifications that his father has made along the way. But I guess I didn't even realize. You know, there's all the this movie's mentioned a lot with similarities to Psycho. I guess that's kind of one too, in a way, of right. where he is living at the house he grew up in that's renting its rooms out to people that's uh it's a boarding house for a apartment versus a motel right oh interesting hmm cool hmm great well should we get into the thick of it here and talk about what worked yeah all right here we go on with our first section as i just said what worked what worked Well, (laughs) I guess I'll get this one out of the way because it's, it feels so like outside of the movie itself, but just so a product of the time that I enjoyed was I've kind of brought it up how I was watching other movies from this era that feels like it's the, uh, the, the the transition from what we think, I mean, from the 50s to the 60s, but also sort of what we think of as those mm-hmm. like stereotypes or versions or whatever. And this was really cool to sort of filmically see that where it has the kind of like, it's got the bright uh, like technicolor like look to it, the the acting style, everything about it, the filmmaking style feels very 50s still, but then you're just, the subject matter and what's going on in it is definitely transgressive. And uh, we'll get into that. Uh, this film was not looked upon uh, well upon release, but just due <laughs> to shock. like, right. Due, due to like controversy and, you know, you know, not even willing to accept it could be a good movie anyways. Um, but yeah, just, just looking at it through that lens worked for me. I enjoyed like, like we technically had an end final girl, you know, That's but true, it's, yeah. but wouldn't even notice it with, cause it is just such like a fifties 
feeling movies. I don't know. It was it was really cool. You hear this as um, the first slasher or one of the first ones or something like that a lot. So it was just neat to look at it from that lens. Well, and that the opening scene is so kind of like quintessential what we think of as how you depict the slasher. Yeah, it was just like it's, Halloween, it's, right? Yeah, it's handheld, first person camera, mm-hmm. you know, following the victim until they kill him. Yeah. And yeah, there's the opening shot is this it's it's such a set. And it's 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 very like God, the design, I guess, is what stands out of this entire film. The color and art design and light, well, and the lighting, obviously, because so much of it is is the lighting is what's giving it color. It's so cool. I mean, I just think the whole all around palette and the lighting techniques and the art design like are working super, super well. Mm-hmm. And it kind of to your point, I guess, like this 50s style of filmmaking, I mean, like what we kind of, at least what I envision when I think of 50s movies is is there, but there's like, I would almost describe it, it's like the 50s style of filmmaking is the bowl that the rest of the more kind of like subversive avant-garde or like stylish uh, aspects of the filmmaking, you know, are inside of this bowl. Mm -hmm. And there's something really kind of cool, like it does feel transitional. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you know, you had to kind of still hang on to some of these older, you know, techniques or whatever to get through these new style whatever points <laughs> yeah uh and then as a result we move into the 60s and i think a lot of filmmakers were like oh wait you can do that let's do that let's do some crazy stuff yeah like let's get nutty with the lights right to different or lack thereof too or right to different extents too yeah so that all and that opening scene man is really cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love that they go that they they show us what you would see through the viewfinder of the camera and it's in color so it's like real time. And then when we cut to him in the credits seeing or watching what he's filmed, we get to see the actual projection that is the result of the filming in black and white. Right. And I thought to myself I was like, "Wait, how 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 do you think they did that?" Like how do <laughs> They just put a crosshair on, I don't know, like, how did they do it? (laughs) Movie magic. It's really cool. They probably just put a fake crosshair over the film stock, you know, the, the color film stock, and then pull it out. And just put it, you know, show it in black and like process it in black and white and actually project it onto the the screen in real time. Yeah. And so we're seeing the actual projected. It's just a lot of that, like the the ins and outs of sort of the camera work and the camera, I guess, what, how would you describe this? It's like the, uh, the meta-ness almost of we're watching a film depicting a film or films and a filmmaker's techniques in those films. And we're seeing 
first person through the camera in the film that we're seeing that is through a camera. <laughs> Wait, but then you know I'll, what I mean? We're like, I just think that whole construct is really fun and cool. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's what you're getting at too. It's like, not only just are we seeing the point of view of the camera, but like we're seeing him watch it later. So that's, that's where right. it gets into the meta thing. We're watching someone watch the film that we just saw get shot. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah. all of that to me, just that construct in the setup of all of that and like having the opening scene really be like, hey, this is what you're in for. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's so smart filmmaking. It's just like, let's just hand you what's what to be ready for and then just go from there and like the off to the races yes in the filmic standpoint we're being set up with here here's what you're in for i thought it was really interesting though how it if we get you compare it to like the opening scene of halloween it's very much like that you know we don't see him all that we see is his like the cameras in the coat and it's just all on the victim, but then it becomes like he's our he's our hero, so to speak. He's our right. protagonist that we follow along. Where it's not as if he's this you know built up to be like a murderer who's you know we aren't with or something. I don't know, but at this, it feels like it was playing on a trope before it even existed. In a way, it's it was weirdly. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to think or like do some research to to think about like. There's two films that spring to mind wh- where we kind of are with the the anti-hero, but not quite. And they're both Robert Mitchum films, which I think is interesting. I think that's right. So, uh, Night of the wait, Night Stalker, Night of the Stalker. I mean, we could. I don't know if this you could use other ones that we've watched though too. But I thought of Martin. Oh yeah, yeah, that's. Very true. And I mean, the, another similar vampire one, the transfiguration, <laughs> you know? Yes, totally. <laughs> um, but I, I was just getting more at specifically, it felt like as if this was a way ahead of its time movie where it went like, ah, but what if after the opening scene with the killer, we were just with them the rest of the movie as the protagonist? And this just was that before that was even sort of a self-aware angle to it. Yeah. Anyway, that was interesting. I thought like that. Um, Night of the Hunter, sorry, okay. not Stalker, and and Cape Fear both have that almost like we we want to sympathize or not. I don't know. Sympathize <laughs> is the wrong word, but we like we're enjoying the the bad guy. I don't know how to put it. Like we're like compelled by the bad guy. Compelled by him. We're yeah. We're it, it's. It's different though. He seems it's more like we're compelled by him, or at least for me in this one, as a curiosity standpoint, but mm-hmm. still mostly at a distance. And to, right. to, to like get into a bit who his character is, I thought it was really interesting. We're getting just it's easy to compare with Psycho. He felt like an even stuffier Norman Bates. Like hmm. even if and that's sort of just because of their 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 culture, it feels like mm-hmm. where you have these two guys, same like you know, equatable issues. Let's say Norman though has the safety and veneer of like the the American small talk. Let's say, oh shucks, yeah, exactly. He can he can fall back into sort of this like accepted casual conversation. He can still be like 
eating his candy corn and it's kind of like <laughs> casual and okay. Right. But uh, the difference here with, I won't forget his name now, Mark. How could you? Is uh, he's he's like, yeah, as I said, like the even stuffier Norman. He's wrapped up in the Britishness where it feels like he's even, I don't know. I, I guess I don't want to say he's more repressed, but it's because they're both equally repressed, but just sort of how they then can be in their interactions. It's interesting how Mark is even more just sort of like, I don't know how to exist at all. Like he barely talks because yeah. it just sort of feels so just like there is no kind of small talk. He that's, that's yeah. formalized. He can even fall into. Well, I think, you know, the big difference to me is that Norman Bates knows how to cover. Mm-hmm. He knows how to play at seeming somewhat normal. Mm-hmm. Even though it, it, at times it, it leaks and, and, and he is awkward or whatever, Mark doesn't seem to know how to cover. Like the second <laughs> he's triggered, he's like, oh, 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 oh no. Right. <laughs> you know, he just becomes very internalized. Like, I, got, I, I don't know how to deal with any of this. And retreats most of the time. Um, the only time we see him kind of reverse on that is when uh, the heroine, Helen, Helen, mm-hmm. when she um, forces him to put his camera away and suddenly he becomes, it's like he's now not, he's no longer tethered to his neuroses and kind of, he kind of comes out, he becomes a little gregarious, but like the world is conspiring against him. It's like continues to remind him on their walk that like he it has this, whatever you want to call it, affliction. Yeah. Um, but all of that, and I mean, that seems really cool because of that. But I think that's, you know, it's really good storytelling to show us how his character operates without being so like, on the nose or heavy handed about it. Yeah. It's just sort of like his demeanor. He lightens up and he becomes a little more like, oh yeah, there is a world out here and you're nice. And oh, there's a restaurant that we should go to. You know what I mean? He suddenly becomes personable when he's like never been that way prior. He laughs for the only time in the whole movie. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) I, I think, I mean, that, that it's a great scene, uh, sequence, whatever you want to call it, but just example of, I think, a fun theme explored uh, section. Yeah. And uh, it's a good good in for all this talk because this was like my favorite, the best stuff about this movie. And actually, like, Jump had this kind of a thing of note, but I think it was uh, Scorsese's a big fan of this filmmaker in this film. It's kind of held it up over the years in different ways. But he said, uh, between this film and Eight and a Half, you can explore and know everything you need to know about like filmmaking itself, (laughs) you know, just as a, as a thing to thematically explore. Um, So for this one and it being a horror movie, it gets into, and we always, you know, I always like come back to, all right, so horror, there's always some sort of uh, paradox, the dualistic, you know, paradox around all horror ideas. The one in this one is how like, about filmmaking itself and even just usage of a camera in your reality. It's, it's like, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say the double edged coin. What did I say? <laughs> that um, sounds right. Yep. Of that, uh, 
filmmaking and films and just picture taking, they allow us a certain like lens as a medium, not a non-literal lens. It's a medium that does allow us to sort of feel more connected to each other and, you know, explore ideas. You know, there's, there's, uh, we we get get a a deeper look at life, all the things it provides, right? Yet simultaneously, it is an act of like separation for the one who's making it. You have to then you're, you you're an observer. You're you're outside of it. Um, you're hiding in a way. Yeah, you're <laughs> you're putting a barrier between you and whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's really, really cool. Because, and you see, just as far as just you can take it, but I just want to tie back to then that scene where, like, then the only time he doesn't have that separation of a camera, he's more personable. Yeah. Well, there's this sort of construct, I guess, of, um, you know, the 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 tropes, I guess, around being in front of the camera or being behind the camera, and what does that imply? And like, what what are those what are the differences between the person who wants to be in front of the camera and who wants to be behind it and you know i guess you could kind of say like typically and generally the person who wants to be in front of the camera is kind of an ego driven person right like they're they they they're self-centered in that they they think that being filmed or photographed or captured is a validation of themselves in some way Whereas, like, the person behind the camera has this duality of being hidden and, like, separated from reality because they're literally seeing it through something that is distorting it. But also, they are a creator. They're almost in a, you know, quote-unquote, God position because they're dictating what the result is. Mm-hmm. And so you have this kind of interesting thing with with Mark and maybe with all photographers and, and filmmakers, I don't know, of like you're kind of playing God, but you're also hiding from the world. It's an Oz almost-esque aspect too. But when you take that away, what are you? Right. And in this case, he actually becomes more human. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I think a lot of the times we would think that if you take that away, he would lose his identity. We actually get to see more of of a personality and and possibly identity. But, you know, the world has conspired against him. Right. I guess. And then it's though like... Or he thinks so. Then it's interesting how, let's say we were able to see his finished film. We might then see his personality come <laughs> yeah. through in that. Yeah, it's almost like he's by virtue of being, you know, subjected to this sort of uh, childhood abuse and and being the subject rather than the son, you know, I think is sort of the root of all of this. Um, damn it, I lost my train of wait, thought. Wait, the subject rather than the son? So like in the father-son construct that, that – should exist uh-huh. he's never parented right right he's tortured by his dad because he's the subject of his dad's study well there and that's even that that's really interesting because it makes the comparison of 
the filmmaker and the scientist, let's say, as, right. as in the observer position. Yep. And it, especially, yeah, with a father and his son just elucidates that so well of like the, he's, he's not my son. He's a, a subject to be observed. It's, it's like, it's, it's uh, kind of gross. Yeah. <laughs> it's certainly not healthy, let's say. Nor is throwing <laughs> lizards on your son and it's recording dude, their reaction. I, know. I was I was watching this with Brit and like we both were like, whoa, whoa what is going on? Like yeah. Jesus Christ. Like what this that, like and, and actually Helen's response to it is totally appropriate. She's like, well, wait, whoa, 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 what what <laughs> the, what hey, what is happening? Mark, Mark, why are you sh- Mark? What is happening? Why is he doing that, Mark? That was, that was like, I don't know. It might be my favorite part in the movie, <laughs> but that was the moment I really sat up where yeah. if there's, if there's something so, so fiendish and sinister <laughs> too, the idea of the father just like throwing this lizard on a kid to like freak him out. It's just, that's so messed up. It is so messed up. And that was, of course, I mean, then to get into like his larger backstory was, he said, always, always key always offer some fun stuff for this, but if that was uh, specifically a neat angle where we actually had these like literal clues we could look at of their home videos and, uh, and just, I don't know, then that turning us into the observer mm-hmm. in a way of like when, when I guess the, uh, his mother dies and he remarries in a matter of, like a month or something, like, something that. like that. And when we see that footage of the new wife posing with um, young Mark, and then the dad though comes in the shot, and at first he's out of focus. I love we're, that. Yeah, we're like trying to get a look at this guy. I'm like, what is this guy's deal? Who is throwing a lizard on his kid and <laughs> yeah. watch it, like filming his reaction to watching a couple making out in the park? Like, is this, this is all right. so weird? <laughs> well, it's just so. It's, I mean, again, it's this this separation thing of thinking that you're doing this good, you know, because you're studying, but you're you're literally putting this like chasm between you, the parent, and parenting. Well, yeah, it's, son, you know, it's, like it's like, are you really? It's that question. I mean, we aren't parents; shouldn't talk, but it's interesting. Of like <laughs> the, are you protecting more actually by being such the the like the helicopter parent or whatever the term is, you know sure and you I, can, I mean i think healthy boundaries exist yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you can even though look at an example of our our government let's say of you know you know extending its rights to to spy on citizens mm-hmm. kind of thing like all that because that was you know some real conversation as in you know the movie kind of material with uh the father we learn in the end has wired all the rooms in the house to on on different reel-to-reel recorders. So now Mark is using that to essentially spy on right. on the, the um, what's her name on oh, everyone who lives there, but yeah. Helen and her mom as well. Yeah, I think it just it it look at the end of the day, it's not black and white, right? It's not there's there's not like one way that's good and one way that's bad, but there is a balance of like hey, you know, maybe observing people to the extent of like pr- like completely breaking any sense of privacy 
and just for the in the name of like oh it's for my study so therefore it's okay yeah. it's like no <laughs> like there are healthy boundaries that that exist like you shouldn't probably and we just agree on most of these things in general like as a as a race like or you know the human race agrees upon this right you well, know like it, don't i don't really want to be observed without some sort of at least you saying hey is this okay like a permission structure it's it's great though cuz then we see the opposite of sort of well when are the boundaries somehow making a person worse maybe you know um like let's say there's uh at the beginning when there's the like the older stuffy british guy who goes in to buy the oh, the porno yes. mags or whatever totally. they are it's like he's He's so just not comfortable in his own skin yep. for wanting to buy the per, the pervy mags or whatever they are. Like he's, it's just so funny to watch them go through this whole, like it's almost like a song and dance routine just trying to like talk around what know, he's doing so ridiculous. there. Right? It's so ridiculous. Yeah. He can't just be like casual about it in a sense yeah. that would feel healthier in a way. Yep. You know what I mean? I do. I I had that exact same feeling where I was like, God, our culture is often so messed up and stupid about these over, you know, over sort of, uh, what would be the word? Like over protecting some, some arbitrary idea of morality or something mm-hmm. like that. And it's like, especially now because we, we live in a different era. That seems overtly ridiculous. Whereas at the time, it was like, I think probably fine. In a weird way, I feel like I am not a historian, so far be it for me to really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but just in the vaguest of vague senses of you know literature and, and history and stuff that I've read about, it kind of seems like the, the 20th century has been... Or was, since I guess we're out of it, right? A couple decades now, Tim. Yeah. It really was this weird century of like overreacting to sexuality. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think it was a little looser before. It seems like it. It seems like like when we we talked about this with Gothic, where it seems like behind closed doors, it was looser. As if like the the outside, like like the presented, mm-hmm. like was like the veneer or whatever was stuffier. But then there was this, ex- I mean, yeah, this is what we get from it. Then this like acceptance of, no, but then behind closed doors, everyone was their sort of liberated yeah. selves. Because maybe there was a bigger sense of privacy back then. Maybe it was just a more acknowledged like, oh no, honey, this is how we all are behind doors. You know, I don't know. Well, I wonder too, we're a little off track here, but whatever. I, I do wonder, because like I've listened to a few pretty interesting um, podcasts, like historical podcasts about the 1800s and, you know, things like, you know, the the pioneering West and whatever. And religion was such a big deal in the movement of like the early, like maybe 1820s to the 1860s-ish. There was this huge, huge component of like people trying to figure out religion and like you had like all these different ideas being, you know, 
advocated for and and in some of some respects probably more of like a uh traveling salesman kind of realm mm-hmm. of like trying to you know it's more of a a grift uh but it existed and people responded to it like there was a thirst for it and you had you know you had sort of a older school traditional uh right hand path magic sort of thing going on where you have things like old school stuff like runes and just folklore stuff and that was the driving force but like christian religion was being hawked almost in all these different versions in the states in particular i'm sure it was happening elsewhere as well but i don't know about that and maybe there's a connection a through line to that and how all of that just era of exploration of theology Mm -hmm. played into the resulting next century of being like, oh, we've decided that there's this moral code. Like, this is good and this is bad. And sexuality was a really wrapped up in that. Maybe for the first time. I don't know. It'd be interesting to go down that rabbit hole. That that sounds about right, that it's the religious influence that then ends up in the guy uh, shopping at the store being like, oh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and I can't connect it back even more to this film where it, that idea, um, you see it with the kind of classic, like, and this is another way you can look at this as an early slasher film where we have that centerpiece murder with the woman who's the extra. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, it's almost like a play on the the sexually active woman as the victim where that's represented by her dancing freely and right. him capturing that in her and her acting trusting and liberated yeah. in that sense. But then you could say that for all of the victims. Right, right. Right. To some degree, they're expressing an overt comfort with their, at least their expression of freeness, right? Mm-hmm. Liberated uh, expression of some sort. Whether it's sexual or not. Right. So then to have that met head on with death and murder, it's just like this extreme of like, shut that down. Yeah. You, you, how dare you dance freely? Yeah. I mean, all of this I think is really cool. And it, I think what makes it work in this movie is that it doesn't feel heavy handed at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I never felt like I was ge- being force-fed anything. It was really built into the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Do you... So, I have a question in terms of his character. I, it, do you feel like there's something in casting a guy who is, I think, German or maybe Austrian? Like, what is... He's so Aryan, and this is only, what, 15 years after World War Two. You know, I think... I don't know. We're, we're, I mean, the UK probably had a pretty, uh, pretty strong feeling still about that era and, and Germans in general, or at least the trope of the Aryan blonde male. Yeah. And I'm, I couldn't, couldn't really put a finger on if they were trying to sort of lean into something, but I'm, I mean, I'm okay with it. It's being it's, a little vague. It, my, I sort of picked up on it when 
both ways. Well, first of all, for whatever it's worth to say on him, he reminded me of Peter Laurie. I, I thought the same thing, eyes. actually. I was just watching the Maltese Falcon. Right. But you could say, um, I, I read there was an interpretation of his character where it was that he was coming off the kind of um, the, the trauma from World War II still itself, you know, not on the... I guess, you know, just, I, I don't know if it was necessarily side specific when I said that, when I say that. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's just that you're playing on the audience. You're just saying, okay, right now, who should we cast to sort of like, just get under the skin a little bit in, without being too, we don't have to be saying anything about it, but like, who do we as a <laughs> as a country view as villainous? Right. Well, I can see it as the subtext is there for it's fun to read into. Yeah. He um he's the yeah, the the, the Aryan like person who's uh whose version of the world didn't pan out. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> they, yeah. they didn't they didn't win. So now here's him trying to exist in the world that uh, won out in a way. It's almost like he's yeah. he's he's left out to now figure out this new world where oh it's not about the, the area. This is all very non literal, but just like right, in right. a subtext interpretation. Well, actually, yeah, and there is maybe something to the idea of like he's the product of a person who was dehumanizing him mm -hmm. and looking at him only through the lens of how can this help my stature or like my, what my pursuit of something. Yeah. And I think you could make that, you could connect that to, to sort of Nazism and eugenics and like, the sort of experimentation on children that went on by by like really gnarly people at the, the in that era. So he's maybe more so. It's a little it's a little subtext of here's here's the result of that, mm -hmm. and you know because he's not he certainly is not. Um, like he's not in in that realm in any way like he's not expressing any uh, overtly sort of nazi ideals it doesn't seem like he's just he's just has a uh affliction so it seems to me he's more that that makes more sense he's the result of bad uh bad parenting <laughs> just like psycho right what um what was your sort of like what was your take on this sort of outward most story sense as to what his motivation was? Like, what was the movie telling us to be gathered? I mean, I like this idea of like obsession with capturing a truth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's kind of the, the definition uh, or or it's the line that we dance back and forth on of like what does it mean to be crazy you know like he thinks that he his pursuit is that he can capture the moment the the expression of the moment of true fear at the moment of death 
right? And he's pursuing this thing, which is like, I guess it's interesting. Like, you know, we want to scientifically learn more about the world, but he's pushing it into this perversion of that pursuit of like, yo, maybe, maybe, you know, like, don't kill people in that, (laughs) in the name of that pursuit. Though it's, I think what's so it's, it's, this was really cool. This really worked for me about it is it's that it was, he was pushing it to the next degree in the way his father wasn't where the father's, you know, angle on it and recording him as a kid was just observing, you know, fear. Mm-hmm. Well, but Mark takes it a yeah, step. Yeah. Uh, Mark takes it a step further. They thought it was, it's, it's very, very like snake eating its own tail, like meta to the nth degree the angle that he takes with it, where it's not just like he said that he's uh, about capturing a truth of like their honest fear in the face of getting murdered. That is happening, but he puts the extra, extra spin on it of also showing them the reflection when they're getting murdered. That's what I'm talking about. I thought was so fascinating. They get to see, I mean, the way his experiment works is to make them see their expression of fear at the moment of death. Right, which... So it's doubled up. He's me, not only capturing that, but he's creating that for them right. to, to capture it. It's pretty It's pretty intense. Which, to me, it, <laughs> it, it puts the focus on, like, let's say you're stabbing me right now, Tim. I can direct my fear at you are an external thing stabbing me, right? And that's all my fear is centralized. But to be forced to look at my own reflection, it's almost like a more direct confrontation with our mortality. I am dying right now, which sounds kind of crazy to point out as if you being stabbed isn't enough to acknowledge your right. mortality. Like, of course, I get it. But as far as to, to look at yourself when doing it, it's sort of almost like he's doubling down on, you know, you can't escape the fact. I want you to not just be reacting to, yeah, fear in the sense of getting killed, but the realization that you are no this is your actual death in this moment you know what i mean absolutely and the the component that i think is is sort of metaphorically most compelling is that we spend our lives kind of existing in relation to the world around us but i think we you know, mostly philosophically agree that the real pursuit of our lives is to learn and get most in touch with ourselves. And our own mortality. Right. And so this this thing that he's created is really that. And so the, the, the tragedy of him as a character is that he's trying to find this but he himself will never be able to experience it well, because in order to experience it to in order to see the results he'd have to live through that and you can't so he's created this experiment that is impossible for him to ever know the answer for him it's not about that it's about completing this project and ending it with his own death where he's similarly or samely you know looking at his own reflection when it happens right but it's flawed because well i mean i guess it's he considers it to be uh like it's altruistic almost in his mind because he's he's leaving that for the world to understand 
but the, the <laughs> thinking that this is something that the world needs or wants <laughs> is really the flaw in it. You know, well, it's, like as it's, if he's saying it, you look at his victims as representative of his father mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Then it's as if he's saying to them, "Oh no, look you 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 look at yourself for once." You're you're the one doing all these experiments on me, da da da, da observing, observing, yeah. observing. Don't you see you're just as guilty and exist yeah. in the world and should be held accountable? Yeah, it's pretty cool because there's a bunch of different layers to it. There's also the layer of him being led into his mom's room when she's dead. So he didn't get to see her die. He got to see her after her death. And then is and in that moment, his dad is filming his reaction to that. So there's, it's just there's sort of this. I don't even know what you like, how you would, kind of what the analogy would be. But there's, there's a lot of I guess ripples to to this <laughs> that are really cool. I mean, I'm just trying to think from like, yeah, it got to just more of that. Everything that the father is doing to the son recording his reactions. Like, hey, your mom just died. I'm going to show you and record your reaction. It's so cold. It's just, it's again why it's like the ultimate observer, which is just the other form of what he's doing. He's killing women and, but completely at a distance from it because Mm -hmm. it's for a film he's making. Yeah. And justifying it. (laughs) Yeah. He's, I just love the idea of literalizing this is, I'm sure Scorsese has the fun field day. He's so obsessed with making his film, he's willing to die for it. He's willing to die mm-hmm. for the ending. <laughs> yeah. This is great. I mean, at the end of the day, the real, I think the real most basic uh, thesis is, you know, when you when you don't have connection in in your upbringing, like when there's separation from the people who are supposed to be there and like raise you and protect you and love you, it it, it does, it messes you up. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of the most basic conclusion that this is pointing at. And there's something about when it's a disconnection brought on by observing yeah. through study. It's this like your acknowledgement of the neglect that's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like in the yeah. face of it. It's cool. I mean, I think in the same way that Psycho explores this other psychological effect, it's it's really it's based in some really solid stuff. And that I think leaves us feeling like we're in good hands, you know? It's not pseudoscience-y. It's kind of like really basic. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, maybe love your kid and like like engage with him on a nice level and he might turn out okay. <laughs> Don't, yeah, he's not a, a thing in a Petri dish. Right, right. The, yeah, the dehumanizing of, of his character leads to him not being able to humanize other people. Mm-hmm. The end. <laughs> There's um, Even though he wants to. Yeah. And he tries. He there, just can't do it. There's getting to some more... Uh, I just want to also mention that scene. I did think it was it was great, that middle scene where he kills the extra after getting her to dance. I love there's the touch where he's on the lift, the crane or whatever, and he's raising himself mm-hmm. like above her. That was a pretty fun touch. 
like that. Um, yeah, there's there. I mean, scene to scene, it's really the filmmaking is really, really good. Even the filmmaking within the filmmaking yeah. is good. I thought when he was the point of view filming her dancing it was very well shot. <laughs> That's right. Very nicely composed. Yeah, he's frame. a pretty good uh, filmmaker, <laughs> <Yeah>. Mark. <laughs> and then so then I mentioned kind of to the um, let's see the uh, no I already did just mention that all the rooms being wired by the father mm, just mm-hmm. about that as the observer mentioned that um, my favorite <laughs> I had a favorite quote in the movie. Which was I love the the blind mother character it was great. So good. She's so suspicious of him from the get go. She's almost mystical. Yeah, I right. love that. <laughs> she says something to the effect of when uh, talking with Helen about this, this suspicious Mark character. She doesn't know how to feel about them. <laughs> she says, "I don't trust men who walk quietly." Yeah, it's like oh, it's <laughs> so good. It feels like that says a lot right there. Yeah, I wondered too about her casting and having because she's not british oh yeah huh she feels almost like maybe a representative of closer to like and i don't mean this in a derogatory way but like closer to sort of gypsy ish Mm. right this even with her the the being blind she's she's got almost like a magic quality to her her knit sweater looks like the dudes kind of it's funny (laughs) (laughs) yeah so, like, I almost feel like there's a little bit of, like, subtext, uh, you know, of she, like, the Germans tried to clean house and and some of their victims were, you know, were people who, like, were considered gypsies and that was considered bad or evil or, like, whatever they thought, some dumb thing. Mm. And she feels like this is almost a she. She's more tuned in because of that historical connection, right? Well, even in the trailer, it was it gave us what it said something like she's she's a tu- she's not tuned in. She's she's on to him, or it was, right, it was the right. suggestion was something like that. I mean, she's got a blade in the, the end of her cane, right? She's a fucking badass. Which <laughs> I mean, she's to- not to be trifled with. To look at it, I mean, we didn't even mention his more specific mode of murder and how he's showing their, like, the, it's a whole rig he has set up where in order to show them, their his victims, their own reflection when they're being killed, it's because he has a tripod leg that has a hidden blade underneath it. So right. he has that one leg extended to stab them in the neck. So then they're looking at the camera that's which, on the tripod. Which also has this reflective... What would you call that thing? I mean, it's a mirror. It's a circular mirror that goes has a hole in the middle so that the the lens can shoot through it. <laughs> right. It's very it's oh it's very doctor you know old school doctor with the little thing that he puts out the <laughs> yeah the reflector thing over his eye, <laughs> which I think furthers this idea of like it, it just is in the realm of like experimentation or like being studied or you know like it it's got that vibe so. Even if it's it's just the the connective tissue of those feelings, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think that's cool. Like it's it's really effective. You mean how it's not a regular mirror too? With that, yeah, yeah, it's got sort of a convex convex no concaveness to it, so it distorts the image, which in distorted. itself is so cool because it's <laughs> like if his whole angle is 
oh, I want to capture your true, you know, expression of fear. He's already it's already flawed because his mirror is a distorted concave mirror. It's it's not going to be a true expression. I guess so. So his idea of of capturing a true thing in and of itself is distorted. Yep. Yep. Layer on top of layer. It's really with this good. One. Like this, it's good stuff, man. Anything else that stood out to you? you want to mention? Um, let's see. All like again, just the 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 color. That opening shot. It looked like something out of like the eighty nine Batman. It was just. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> it reminded me of the uh, David Bowie album cover. I think Ziggy Stardust. Maybe Ziggy Stardust. It looks like that. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Um, it looks like a weird map painting, which it probably is. Yeah. <laughs> but it's cool. It's just, just the style, man. The style of this movie is really cool and fun <laughs> and weird. <laughs> and the color, you, the use of color is great throughout. Like they isolate people in frame with one, like one person gets one color and one person gets another. Like Helen keeps getting splashed and like bathed in red light, but then, you know, Mark will be standing behind her and he'll be in this white blue light. And mm-hmm. it's just like stuff like that. It's masterful, like DP and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Lighting they, design. They have a lot of playroom because you have the, the, the development room in his place, then you have a film set itself. Yep. So they they use that all. Oh yeah. So, yeah. And it's just it looks great. You're into the performances overall too. Yeah, I think Helen's a little annoying, but in it's I think that's the point in a way. Um she she's very unique looking. Yeah. I kept thinking she reminded me everybody in this movie reminded me of somebody. But I couldn't figure out who. I was like, man, you're so familiar. Right. I don't know why. Maybe that's just everybody these days with me. (laughs) Everybody looks familiar to me. (laughs) What the hell? You've seen them before. It's what happens when you get older. You just, every face, you, there's only like what? I don't know. I've, I've read this somewhere. There's like 15 facial structures. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once you've seen them all. I'd be curious to see groups of each facial structure. I would love that. It's like you can look at somebody and be like, oh, that person looks British or looks, I don't know what another example is. But like, you know what I mean? Like there is a vague genetic reality to that. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not vague, but in our minds, I think it's vague. I don't know if I can connect that back to Peeping Tom here. Um. Uh... (laughs) No, but you know, in casting this, everybody who's cast, I feel like, has really distinct eyes. I think they did a really good job of finding people with interesting faces and, and in particular, eyes, which is smart, right? I mean, not that you wouldn't want to do that <laughs> in general, but it, it sort of does further along the themes of the movie. Well, I mean, just to talk about the opening was great, but the opening shot, it's like you're making a movie called Peeping Tom about all this stuff. It was your only option for an opening shot. But luckily they did it. Close up of an eye. Yeah. Observing. It just it did yeah. so much. Just looking in an eye, looking. Making the mom blind. Like the, the like it, it's all very, very well thought out and connected. Yeah. 
there's just something, I mean, what is about looking at an eye in close up where there's there to have an eye with no context of what it's looking at. You just only get the sense of this, like at the outwardness that our eyes are, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's no, there's no, Oh God, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. Well, our brains are built to try to gather information from yeah, the eyes. It's, it's pure gathering. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so whichever way you think you're going, you are seeking out information. Yeah. I mean, that's the eyes are meant for that. So, yeah, it's it's just cool. I feel like the filmmakers and the writer really, really, like, like had a handle on all of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Good work, guys. It doesn't feel arbitrary, in other words. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Did you have anything else, or should we move on to the next section here? Um, no. <laughs> I don't think so. Nothing springs to mind. I love that she that the dancing extra was left in the trunk. Yeah, I just love that. Like, because you kind of know it, right? And then they're doing this scene where it's like the <laughs> it just is. I love the the meta ness of watching a film crew try to film a thing and like having it relate to the story of the film that we are watching. Yep. I just love, that's always fun to me. And so when the director is like, this is the scene that needs to be funny. The scene that we watch unfold is actually funny because we know they're like leading up to this reveal. Yeah. And I just, th- like layering stuff like that is always so fun to me and exciting. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they're thinking. Right. Good job, filmmakers. <laughs> I just like to... uh his position as you know a, a crew member on set who's though has aspirations to be like the the director yeah. he's on the side making his own film that was all fun yeah definitely great all right then with that we'll move into our next section what did not work it's not ready yet seems to work okay no something important's missing what did not so i already mentioned obviously the thing that really just as a viewer got annoying what was how much helen says mark i I mean it's just crazy to me i really didn't notice that i'm amazed that you didn't notice it (laughs) because it was like at a certain point it just it got in my brain where I was like I stopped watching the movie like I finished the movie and for like 15 minutes after all I heard was her voice saying Mark over (laughs) and over again I was like this is insane like maybe maybe it's purposeful and and works in in some regard but it it drove me insane it felt true to her character though she's kind of excited about making (laughs) friends with him oh Uh, yeah like like you could see you know her friends going geez everything with you now helen is mark this mark that you know you kind of (laughs) yeah caught it with her yeah i think you know to sort of carry on with her character it probably wasn't a trope at the time but i i'm not i'm i'm over the trope of the the woman falling for the mysterious 
misanthrope. Mm-hmm. I think it's just maybe it's just that it's it's a tired thing, and in the in the current world that we live in, it just doesn't it doesn't ring true to me anymore. Like I don't, I just can't relate to it because I'm like, guys, guys can and are such creeps so often in our. I mean, this is not like a new thing, but we we're honed in on that more as a culture. And rightly so, because there's a lot of creepers out there doing creepy stuff and and worse. Um, and so I'm always a little sensitive now to like depictions of that setup, I guess, that that l- almost lean into it being romantic. I'm just like, mm, ah. It's, it's tricky because it is the kind of situation you want to like bring out the theme and character of like trusting, giving trust over to someone that we shouldn't trust. Yeah, it's, yes. So I feel... I mean, the only way I can think of sort of mixing that up is if it's just take out the, 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 the women romanticized angle of just it's a new friend. It's a platonic male friend or something like that. Or, yeah. or like May did it as a gender reversal. Yeah, because she's yeah. you know, well, right. Misanthrope, her character. It's interesting. Yeah, I think it's partially the the component of like, oh, I can, I can fix or save him, and that's just you know, you don't find that relatable though. I mean, it's I, tricky. I feel like that. I don't know. I relate to that instinct of seeing the best in people and wanting to bring out the best in people and. I mean, I, I like how that's kind of like ongoing thing in the Psycho movies. Clearly, like, I don't know. Yeah. I like I like all that. I get how it's, it feels like it's going to come back around, you know, in a way where, where we are, what you're saying is I think where we're more at now. Um, but then we, I feel like then we're going to loop back around where then all of a sudden we see a, a twist on that where somehow they aren't the actual killer or misanthrope or, you know, like we thought kind of thing. Well, the reason that I think that it, I sort of frame it in that at the time it probably wasn't so much of a trope. I think it it's become a trope and now we live in a time where we are actively combating bad behavior. And so you don't want to fall into that trope, which in a weird way advocates for getting for romanticizing uh, bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Now, to your what you just said, I think you're probably right because through what we as a culture are going through right now, we are learning that the answer is compassion. And so in this movie, it's sort of that was her attempt and the answer for her is to try to be compassionate and actually see a, a human being. And understand them. We still need to do that, but we can't do that and and be give give permission for bad behavior in doing so. So they, we have to do it in a smart way. And I think you're right. We'll get we'll get to those smart ways as a culture. Yeah. Some at some point. <laughs> it's at least though. It's it's the point of these movies in the end though is always more on the sort of the. How, how they're all victims, though, you know? That's right. 
But we, but the the trap is that we somehow romanticize Mm -hmm. him, Mm -hmm. and we need to be careful about that. I think that's all I'm saying is that it it sends up the like whatever the thing. Yeah, well, it's it's, to me to be like okay, yeah, it's super mm -hmm. fascinating because it's kind of like the the good with the bad of you know the, the misanthrope character and maybe the attraction to people like that is they are somehow you know outside the norm, which is also harmful, you know? <laughs> so it's... Right. It's, I it's think like, being I, categorical yeah. about it is dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't just... We should not live in a world where we go, oh, that person looks a certain way, therefore they are a certain way, therefore I've mm-hmm. made a judgment on them. We shouldn't do that. That's not great. But we also should be smart about our instincts toward people. It's kind of what we talked about a little bit, this instinct versus intuition thing is something that we as human beings need to be better about tuning into. Some people are good at it, some people aren't. And culture sometimes gets it wrong as to how to frame that stuff and and I think leads people, maybe not intentionally, but can lead people in the wrong direction. How do you define one or the other with instinct versus intuition as, and then, and then also, I mean, for me, because when we were talking about it, we were sort of talking about it in terms of, that's the scary thing is, as from a subjective point of view, not knowing what is one or the other. So how, do you have thoughts on that? It sounds like you are more so like So my knowing. thought would be instinct is more lizard brainy um fight or flight stuff correct whereas intuition is something you can cultivate you i think intuition is a product of learning how to read your f- instincts so how does one <laughs> hone intuition that you know i i'm not sure i'm not sure <laughs> I feel like it's only through experience and it has to just, and whether that goes one way or the other. Yeah, it's got to be, right? It's got to be intertwined with how you build empathy. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that some people, some percentage of people out there um, can't build empathy, but they can manipulate the 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 constructs around behavior mm-hmm. for for their own benefit and that those are the people that we need to be careful about right like we need to have a better sense of the signal the signs that those people i mean it's really difficult this is like the battle in a way well it's like uh in this movie to frame it it's helen versus her mother's instinct and intuition yeah of the mother's intuition is right that hey you can't trust this mark guy something's just off and helen's maybe see it seems like her it's is her intuition telling her to trust this guy because her intuition isn't wrong that you know it's it's validated by that once they get the camera gone he does have a side of himself that's right outside of you know that's not his murderous self <laughs> that's right yes it's it's all very it's it's layered and complicated 
but that just affected your viewing in a negative way. Well, it just kind of like, you know, it, it sends up a signal initially of like, I don't know what you would call it, of just like squirminess for me where I'm like, uh-uh. Like, so how would you, let's say, is there a version of this you could adapt for today's age? Put a twist on it somehow you'd feel good about. Hmm. That is a difficult question to answer or just scrap the idea you know how it is no, more no, so i think i think you can i think i think it would just involve a little bit more i think in a way maybe what a modern version of this could or would want to do is to combine helen and her mother into one character so that you have her ability internally to question things Mm -hmm. and to be listening to both sides of their impulses or, or, or just their perception of things. Yeah. And so then you can, you can have that debate internally of like, well, I have compassion for this person. This person is a human being, but this other part of my brain is getting fired off. What's that all about? About And like, how do I as a character deal with that? And I think then you can, in a modern way, you would feel less like we're falling into a a two-dimensional trope. Right. Helen's just fully trusting the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, she's not – there are moments when she she pushes back and she says, oh, my God, like, turn it off and why are you showing me this and whatever – but then she doesn't do what seems like nowadays would be the next the next logical step, which is to get out of there. Right? Is it different for you at all? Let's say the tenant, where uh, the main character in that was entirely a victim. Because remember, you know, there's a similar case of um, the, the the woman, the love interest, whatever you want to call her, in that like fully trusting, you know, fully being on his side, reaching out, you know, romanticizing his, you know, specifically being into him out of the misanthrope, out of all her other friends. Yeah, but it's different because she's, she is not privy to all the information. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of the story is keeping her in the dark, Mm -hmm. keeps her, you know, uh, open in a way. Like if she knew all everything, if he told her that he was living in that apartment and he told her like everything that was going on, I think she would have a different sense of him. But they they really separated in that movie. It <laughs> for I'm just keep thinking of May now, mm-hmm. where it was really interesting. And one thing I liked about this movie and bring up a lot, a lot of movies we covered do this of it being so stylized yet also capturing a realism. Mm-hmm. I feel like that movie handled what you're talking about well. And it's interesting because it'd be Jeremy Sisto, the right. guy romanticizing May. Um, but in in that case it felt like it works or it's not a total romantization because of the, the realism it takes place right. in. Then when we're looking at something like peep, Peeping Tom, it so feels like that a, a movie movie. Yeah, yeah. The era and the style 
is it's much different. <laughs> but I wonder if just if you're looking at just modern films too, if that's something that could help allay that trope or worry for you is if you just go hard, if it, if you just buy into it as being, well, I could make this critique, but at the same time, this seems so realistic how it's playing out that yeah. it's hard for me too. Well, the Joker does it. Just Joker? Joker, right, Joker. Yeah, it does it by actually subverting the reality of the women in the movie. Right, they're not real. They're not real. (laughs) And so when they behave in certain ways, you can still play out tropes. You can get away with that because ultimately they are tropes. Yeah, he's living (laughs) the trope in his head. That's right. Yeah, the fantasy. So that's interesting. Um, hmm, I don't know. Food for thought, I guess. Great. Well, I mean, we are in, we kind of veered into Fells like more thing of noty <laughs> stuff or, but uh, since we are in what did not work, anything else? I mean, my, I, my only other thing was like, I kind of was hit or miss with the music. I didn't notice music one way or the other. It's really 60s sort of boppy. Oh, I was, I was and into I, it because of that. I dig it. I <laughs> dig it because it's cool. And it's of that era, and I like that. Yeah. But it did make me wonder how much different this movie would be with, like, an ominous score. I don't know. For me, that when the music, it's, it's, I don't know if it has that, like, it's that, as easy as to say, it has that ironic edge to it or something. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Or that dis, dis, discordant, what is it, mm-hmm. disparate mm-hmm. feel to it. I don't know. For me, it, it Anything that puts me in that place in time lent itself to helping it. it. Yeah, it, it certainly isn't. It's more of a like mm, question mark of would something else be better rather than it didn't work. Right. But other than that, no, I mean, not really. It's funny. I can't even, This is I'm supposed to explain this is where I just have to back up why I feel the way I do, but I really can't. If it was just sort of like, feeling a little long or I wasn't super, super into it on this first viewing. I, I really can't say why, but <laughs> I really can't say why it wasn't working for me in that sense. But that, that was my experience watching it. I guess the only other thing is that it's, it's, it does not play up suspense in the way that like, say a Hitchcock movie will. Maybe that was it. Like I wasn't feeling the sort of the driving like question throughout the whole thing. It was pretty just going along. Yeah. Oh, he kills one other person eventually. Like, but no, I I don't even want to put it that way. As if it's just like I'm waiting for the new kill every 20 minutes. Like it wasn't that, but it was this ongoing. Yeah, like, there were there was it was lacking that thrust for me in a way. Picked up by the end for sure, but now yeah. it's ups and downs. Yeah, I think that's it for me though. Like it just didn't quite. It's like with a movie like this, I think you want to see. You you want to see the boulder get pushed up the hill, and then when it gets to the top, it it's like we get to watch it roll down and gain speed, and like feel like oh no, mm-hmm. like it's it's gonna get bad, and then it's gonna get worse, and it doesn't quite have that like yeah. Even with the suspense of him getting caught, that should be there. It wasn't really there. The cops right. were just kind of like, okay, well, we aren't very suspicious of you. Uh, are you suspicious <laughs> yeah. of them? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. It was, right. <laughs> that wasn't really there. Yeah. But. Whereas like, 
psycho feels like you, we get ramped up. Like it, it's, it's playing with us, but like it really feels like you're constantly going, oh no. Yeah. Well, psycho is oh, also no. the best movie ever. So <laughs> I know. Well, fair <laughs> enough. Um, great. I think with that, then we're going to move on to our next yeah. section. Things of note. Things of note! <laughs> this should be interesting. I mean, where my mind went, the thing I just had to know, Tim, with this movie, I had to figure out for myself, what, who, who is Tom? In the phrase, peeping Tom. <laughs> Didn't you wonder that? Did you think At that? one point I did. I was like, peeping Tom, more like peeping Mark. <laughs> and then I said, I'm going to say that in this episode of the podcast, and it's it's going to be a really bad joke. Well, there we had it, folks. Yeah. Yay. We did it. It's like it had to be done. So do you know where that name comes from as a... Oh, the history of that? Yeah, that's what I was saying. I do not not know the historical significance of peeping Tom. Do you know the significance or story of Lady Godiva? Oh, God. No. I mean, I've heard the name, but... (laughs) Right. No, no. I'm with you. I wasn't too familiar. But that was the story of a, let's see from Wikipedia, late Anglo-Saxon noblewoman relatively well-documented wife of the Earl of Mercia. Mercia. Blah, 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 blah. Mainly remembered for a legend dating back to at least the 13th century in Mm. which she rode naked, covered only in her long hair through the streets of Coventry to gain a remission of the oppressive taxation that her husband imposed on his tenants. The name Peeping Tom for a voyeur originates from later versions of this legend in which a man named Thomas watched her ride and was struck <laughs> blind or dead. <laughs> wow. That's cool. Very interesting. Yeah. Very noteworthy. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, it was the first time we hear that phrase so much, peeping Tom, and it was just the first time I went, wait, who's Tom? <laughs> Who's this Tom fellow you keep mentioning? Also from now the Wikipedia on the film Peeping Tom, not the person or legend, just about, you know, a bit more context on its release and how it was received. I thought this was a Mm. fun anecdote. Peeping Tom's depiction of violence and its lurid sexual content made it a controversial film on initial release and the critical backlash Keeped on the film was a major factor in finishing Powell's career as a director in the United Kingdom. Whoa. So apparently he had only get films up and made in Australia after this. Brutal. Carleen's Bohm later remembered that after the film's premiere, nobody from the audience went to shake the hand of him or Michael Powell. Get a grip, everybody. <laughs> right. Well, come it on. Made me think too of the the psycho comparison. Why that one got the free pass, you know, in a way. And I think it was a combination of the context of Hitchcock as a director. Yeah. You know, we expected that he's the macabre director, which Michael Powell did not have that reputation. This was a surprise based on his filmography. But also that, that, like we look at, you know, there's a whole documentary I recommended about just the shower scene in Psycho. Right. And I think that that can be looked at as a, 
just a, a turning point, a milestone, all sorts of things. But I feel like in Psycho, it handled all that violence, transgressiveness, the point of view stuff in a single scene or you know a single moment too. You could say this one was just all it was just the movie. Here you go, you know. Yeah, there isn't a quintessential scene in this movie. There was no turning point that sort of is shocking enough, right. you know, that it it's it then somehow people are on the ride with it, I guess, versus this it's just you're sitting down and watching the opening scene and can see them going, "Oh, this is so lurid." And, uh, right. Da, da, da. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Bummer though. Yeah. Come on. Well, no, now, though, we could say it's gotten its praise years later. That's true. That's true. Scorsese's talking it up, as we said. It's, uh, it's a Criterion release, all that good stuff. Yeah. Great. Well, did you have anything for things of note? No, not really. Oh, I- uh, one question, though, because I didn't really look this up. Why is it listed as 62 release in a bunch of places? Like, even the rental not the rental but like on amazon I, uh, we watched it uh it says 1962 but all over the place online it says 1960 uh, us any? was its um is that why yeah it was the 1962 release oh, okay all right fair enough and That's then 19 april 1960 was when it was released in the uk got it okay so there, there's the answer to your very specific Thanks. question. There you go. <laughs> the last thing that I had, because it's fun whenever we can tie our films that we do to other films that we've done. This film is referenced by Ghostface in <laughs> Wes Craven's that. Scream 4 as being the first film to, quote, put the audience in the killer's point of view. Cool. Boom, bada, boom. Yeah. You know, we didn't really touch on this too much, um, maybe because it's just kind of obvious, but there is a major, major component in this film revolving around sexual repression specifically. We've talked about that a lot with The Tenant, Psycho. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. It's almost like too obvious in a way because of how this movie is constructed. So. Mm hmm. I keep using the word construct and constructed today. What's up with that? They're just helpful words. You know what it is? About film. It's because there's construction there's in my construction. apartment right now. <laughs> Your kitchen will no longer be repressed. Oh, <laughs> how nice. It would be so liberating. Right. It's going to have all this, like, these useless shelves aren't going to be there. It can <laughs> breathe. It can stretch its legs finally. That's right. Great. Open concept, baby. <laughs> open concept <laughs> uh, great well if is that it then for yeah that's it for Peeping Tom from 60 in the UK 62 in the States we have our recommendations to wind down with is there anything you'd like to recommend Ed I have something to recommend Ed I do I do Ryan what is it it's called Sightseers I think I've heard of it what is it's, it um where was this made I think it's uh, I'd have to look it up. It's directed by Ben Wheatley. Um, I kind of don't want to say anything about it. It's one of those. A lot of these are one of those. But uh, it's a couple who have a little um, caravan in the... I can't remember where they are. British. British somewhere. 
UK somewhere, maybe Ireland. Great. I don't know. Well, I owe and it's fun. I owe Ben Wheatley another shot. I've only seen Kill List. See, I really like Kill List. I really I did know not. You, I know you don't. <laughs> For whatever reason at the time. So, I don't know. I feel pretty alone in that. But I'll check out Sightseers. And he has a new movie, I believe, that's just coming out. He's attached to all sorts of stuff going on. Fun. Well, oh yeah, he did the Rebecca remake Oh, the on remake Netflix. with Army Hammer, the now uh, disgraced maybe eats people yeah i was gonna say is that real like certainly what is what is real or seems to be confirmed to be real is that he's got some intense kink that also involves underage girls so he definitely is you know probably a gnarly dude and there's two of him in (laughs) (laughs) that's right I mean, I guess for legal reasons, all allegedly, but I've read some of the text conversations between him and one of the first women. Those were real? Oh, yeah. And they are, they're pretty shocking. Well, I'll I'll say nothing. I don't want to kink shame, but I I also have not read them myself. Yeah, it's, yeah. Okay, Ben Wheatley. Let's call it problematic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, he's also attached to do just have him up the oh yeah no he did did he do the original the new Tomb Raider he's attached to the Tomb Raider 2 wow of the new ones funny that's fun great well I'll recommend Dead been meaning to watch it while I have this uh, limited Apple Plus subscription for a month I was given to watch some stuff on there uh, Sofia Coppola's new film, On the Rocks. Oh, yeah? Yeah. 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 You know that film? You've no. seen it around? You heard of it? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I've heard of her. Bill Murray and Rashida Jones. Yeah, that's right. Sure. It was great in how good it was. It was just this nice, like, simple story, well told. It's fun to watch the actors do their thing and get caught up in the world. It's Made me really enjoy, uh, yeah, that's, that's her that her sensibilities and her filmmaking uh, was refreshingly just, I don't know, just a, a movie that in not trying to do so much somehow was so much, if that makes sense. That seems like her style. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So I'll recommend that one, what I've All been right. watching recently. Word, word up. Great. Well, Tim, do you want to randomly select the film we'll be watching next week? Yeah. I'm looking at it at, at our um, hat, so to speak. Yes. Um, okay. I'm just going to kind of go like. All right. We are going to watch The Entity from 1982. Oh, this is this is one. Yeah. I don't know if I've. Seen it. This is the one with Barbara Hershey. Okay. I've I've always wanted to see this one. Cool. I'm pretty sure I haven't. Cool. Well, there you go. This and this is like another, I, I don't think I this have is either. another one with the entity, the tenant, and the God, what's the other one that we just watched with the 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 floor upstairs? The Sentinel. <laughs> all, right. all three of these I always confused. And wait, what's the one with uh, George C. Scott is it in like the haunted house with the bouncing oh, ball? 
oh God, yeah, what is that called? That, oh my God, what is that? The Changeling. So I always, all of those movies, I was confused. So now we'll finally have them all sorted out, uh, hopefully. <laughs> awesome. After seeing The Entity. All right. Great, great. great. Well, fun. Well, if you made it this far, we do appreciate you making it this far. Uh, you can find us wherever you found us. I am Ryan McDuffie. With me here is Tim Aslin, our mixer master. Is Brendan Welch, our big ass. Is should you? Uh, well, if you made it this far, as I just said, and you enjoyed being here, being here, tell a friend. Yeah, tell a friend. Or not, that's fine too. Or tell a stranger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just tell someone. No, no, no. You don't have to tell someone. We're happy to have you here. Either way, all at the same time. Great. Well, in closing, whether you're a peeping Tom or Mark, we thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>